HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Culture and Flavor is a podcast about food and culture centered in Black and Indigenous foodways. Hosted by myself, Zella Palmer, right here in New Orleans, Louisiana. Each episode features high vibrational conversations with cultural bearers, chefs, farmers, scholars, barbecue pitmasters, and more. Where there is flavor, there is history. Join me on Culture and Flavor and all of my guests as we share stories that will have you praise dancing, cooking, conjuring, and inspiring your culinary journey. Welcome to Culture and Flavor with Zella Palmer. Y'all, I'm so excited today to have Chef Serena Bay on uh, Culture and Flavor. I have watched his rise for quite some time since he moved to New Orleans uh, from Harlem. And he recently returned from the James Beard Gala in Chicago, where he was nominated as uh, Best Emerging Chef. Recently, he opened up Dakar Nola in New Orleans with his uh, business partner, Effie Richardson. And the whole world, from London, from Africa, from all over the United States, um, celebrities, all kinds of uh, folks, locals are coming to Dakar Nola to try his um, native Senegalese cuisine. And so I'm so excited to have him on this program. Welcome, Serene, to Culture and Flavor. Wow, I am deeply uh, honored to be in this, uh, be on your show. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> of course, of course. So tell us a little bit about, you know, this is your second time being nominated for the uh, James Beard Foundation Emerging Chef um, category. And you are in New Orleans, where we both live. Um, I want to I want to talk a little bit about just that experience and you know just you reflecting on um, being nominated. Honestly, I mean, I think it's an amazing feeling that my work is gaining a recognition that my parents didn't get. You know, my mom 
opened a San Diego's restaurant in Harlem in the late eighties. She was cooking amazing food and because of the food that she was cooking, only US African folks were the ones supporting it. Now here here we are now, thirty years later, I'm cooking my food within my own take and not only uh Senegalese or African American, but every different culture is supporting the food that I'm cooking. So and the fact that I'm getting recognized for it means a lot, you know. So to be returned two years in a row is is truly a blessing. That is amazing. Um I, you know, I watched you for, you know, quite some time and I know your mother, you know, has a has your mother owning an uh, her own restaurant in Harlem has a huge influence on you, you know. Um, I would love to just hear a little bit about just your upbringing in Harlem and why you decided to move to New Orleans after you graduated from culinary school. Um, well, my mom came to the state early on, in her early 20s, to um, buy goods and take it back to Senegal and sell it. But around that time, a lot of us African folks that lived in Harlem um, they, every time they ate food was from, you know, food that's not what they used to. Because the they thinking at the time was the men, which was, you know, make as much money they possibly can and go back to Africa and spread that, you know, spread that uh, money with their family. So when my mom came, she decided to cook for my father. And my father decided to um, bring some of her friends, some of, his, you know, some of his co-workers, and they all began to realize how good how good cook my mother was. And eventually, you know, uh, people loved it so much, started supporting it, and they told her that she opened a restaurant. So that's how it all became all be, all began. So by the time I was born, the restaurant was closed, but that is that was African folks uh, knocking on door, asking for jollof rice. You know, so um, I grew up early on having that memories that my mom used to cook for people, you know. So when I went to Senegal, I was there for about nearly a decade. When I came back, you know, food was a way for me to fit back into society that I was born, that I was born in, but at the same time, I feel very disconnected uh, around my surroundings because I didn't, I did not uh, have that same upbringing that they did, you know. So food gave me a way to connect, you know, it gave me an opportunity to follow my dreams and to uh, travel the world and touch many lives, and most importantly, is to show people that how much West African food has inspired so many cuisine around the world, and specifically New Orleans and Senegal has huge connection. So uh, after I graduated from school, I decided to go to Senegal for about uh, two months or so. And my flight back to Senegal, uh, I met group of folks that was returning back to the state that lived in Louisiana uh, ended up connecting me to the Commander's Palace family 
And I was supposed to be in New Orleans for about three months. So uh, long story short, I was three years I was with the company. You know, I, I left to go to San Francisco to work for a great restaurant in New York and et cetera. And when, when pandemic hit, I came back to the city of New Orleans to continue doing the pop-up that I was doing before. And the pop-up did so well enough, you know, um, it led to a following that, you know, encouraged me to open a restaurant. Now here we are, eight months later, no, seven months later, I got my own restaurant, Dr. Arnoldo. Why did you choose New Orleans? I mean, why did you decide to say, what makes it special about New Orleans that you said, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to open up a business? Because, you know, you have worked in some top restaurants across the globe. Um, you are one of the hottest rising chefs in um, the country right now. Why did you choose New Orleans? I think the New Orleans has huge connection between Senegal and New Orleans. I mean, uh, one we have in common when it comes down to hospitality. Two, the food, you know, I mean, the names might be different on the food, but you can see similarities on many New Orleans dishes, such as gumbo. We have a dish called supukanye, such as jambalaya. We have a dish called jollof rice, which I truly believe inspired jambalaya in many ways. We have a dish called domada, which is very similar to etouffee. You know, so it's a, it's, it's a lot of similarities between the two cultures. And then you talk about the music, you know, which is another component that really connects the two, uh, uh, these two cities. And then the people, you know, the the genuine people that live in New Orleans, I, I truly believe are one of the genuine people that I met around the world. And it just reminds me of so much of Senegal, you know, the farmer's market that we have here is not abundance as California per se, but is it, it feels more of a home to me because the fruits and vegetables, you know, is very similar to what I would get in Senegal, the climate. So it just, to me, I just feel like New Orleans is just a home. So when I came here, I easily identified myself. Like this is the place I would call home forever. And here we are, and now I, got, now I have a restaurant because how much I love this city. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. 
So you opened up this, I mean, I saw you do a lot of pop-ups in New Orleans and, you know, you've been doing pop-ups for quite some time. Uh, you literally, you know, were at so many events. You have this thirst and curiosity for, um, you know, history and making it part of your um, culinary artistry. Can you talk a little bit about the Senegalese and New Orleans um, connection and why it's so special to you? Because I, I, I think that gets sometimes lost in a lot of um, conversations and how profound the Senegalese influence is on New Orleans, um, on New Orleans culture. Uh, I mean, as I mentioned my previous question, how much, you know, the food, the music, uh, the hospitality, the people. But one other part that you could see huge connection between the two cultures is that most of the, the slaves, you know, that were bought from New Orleans, majority of them came from the Senegambian regions, which is people that from Senegal and Gambia and Guinea-Bissau, Guinea-Conakry, Avicos, and all these beautiful places. So I truly believe that New Orleans, huge part of the culture, why people love New Orleans is because of the, the Senegambian region has major impact on having, having that on the city of New Orleans. Well, one of the challenges I think that we have here in New Orleans is um, media. And I, I think you can possibly agree with that. Um, yet and still, you know, we have so many black owned restaurants in New Orleans. And some of the challenges of with our media is, you know, um, not enough, um, you know, media publications. I mean, New Orleans Times Picune was bought out by um, New Orleans Advocate that's um, based in Baton Rouge. And so we don't have that many uh, food writers, you know. How are you able to, you know, as not only a Senegalese chef that, um, you know, is pushing West African cuisine to the world and making it um, a, a fine dining experience or, um, you know, a, an experience that it always has been. Um, how are you pushing to get the word out when we don't have that much media coverage? I mean, my personal thought is that if, considering the fact that, you know, we don't, like you said, that we don't have a lot of people that's pushing or, or bringing more awareness when it comes down to the uh, culinary scene in New Orleans, that's why, for me, I continue doing collaboration with other chefs that's not from New Orleans to bring that attention, not only to me and my restaurant, but also the city of New Orleans. So people could see uh, the good food that these chefs are eating. So when they come here, I make sure we host them well, we fed them well, we show, we show them some of the restaurants that I truly enjoy dining in the city of New Orleans. But also, you know, it brings in, it makes other publications pay, paying attention to what we're doing here. 
for me, I think that is my strategy of build, uh, building my brand, but also uh, creating creating awareness around my brand by doing a collaboration with other chefs. And also, on top of that, we are doing we are doing you know we are uh, donating some of the proceeds to a program that I truly respect called Cafe Reconcile. And also, it's, it's, it's helping in many different ways. You know, it's bringing attention to our business, to the city of New Orleans, to food writers or food publications. And also, we are helping a nonprofit organization. So I am happy that we're able to do that. I think also it's impressive um, just, you know, me as a diner and a supporter of, you know, Dakar Nola and your work is um, the moment you, the hospitality. I think you've done an excellent job of um, showing people who aren't, who've never been to Africa, who, you know, um, never um, experienced, you know, the whole um, gamut of Taranga. You know, I would love for you to explain that and walk us through what it's what it's like to eat at the Carnola. I mean, one of the reasons why opening this restaurant is so important to me is it reminds me of so much of early on what my mom was able to do for those African folks that lived in Harlem. They wanted a taste of home. It's not only the fact that she made good food. It was the fact that when they came to our house, they felt that home. They felt like they're in their grandma house or their aunt house or their whatever house, you know. We make them feel home. And I think one thing that we do in the car is I try to honor that word in Wolof called teranga. Teranga means hospitality at its best. As an example, you know, if you go to Senegal, people always say the best food is not in the restaurant, it's at someone's home. So my restaurant, I consider it as more of a home cooking and home feeling than a restaurant because a restaurant gives service. And we don't give service, we give teranga, which a little bit of a step further than service because it's not a job to us, it's something that we truly do because we, we love it with every part of our body, you know, we, our soul, we just, in the back of our shirts, in our restaurants, every cooks have that quote that says, we cook to nurture the soul. So I, I truly believe that's what, that's what we do at Dakar. Not only are you nurturing your, um, you know, your customer's soul, I think, um, you know, just your business model and how you nurture your staff, um, I think is really um, profound in a city like New Orleans that has historically, like many places, I'm not leaving out just, um, you know, um, other cities, but New Orleans has a deep-seated history of, um, you know, restaurants that we had open since slavery, you know, since before slavery ended, right? Um, that, you know, service um, that was definitely tied to slavery 
and you know decades of unrecognized black chefs in the back of the house who never made executive chef you know um and thankful to dr judy rosa dr dr rudy joseph lombard who um with his book creole feast you know that let us know about these black executive chefs in um you know the the from the 1930s on to you know the 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 80s um and i think you you know and your passion for cafe reconcile your passion for um educating the younger generation as well as those who have worked you know back in the back of the house for quite some time you know um in other restaurants but not necessarily getting their um an equal you know pay or advancement i think um that's something that i definitely see that is quite different than um a culture that we have been have seen for decades in new orleans no for i mean for sure i mean i think you may, you make such a good point for me i think been in the industry for about 12 years you know i i worked in some restaurants that i know for sure when i opened my own restaurant i was not going to treat staff in such a way you know so i think you know the industry that i grew up in is compare where i started compare where we at now i think it's much better than what it is but i think it's still room to uh it's still room for us to grow you know so i think for me i start by was around me and people that works for me and how can i make them feel seen how can i make them feel seen how can i allow them to feel like it's not a job is this is a passion this is something that we love this is something that you want to look forward to coming to the restaurant every single day you know they i mean the moment they come in is not oh my god i got to go to work you know and build a more of a support team a way that we could communicate with one another and it's very important to me that we have family meal every single day we all sit down together and have conversation and connect and bond listen to music or chat make jokes i think life you know is is hard as it really it is and the industry is even tougher so i think if i if you could find that balance in between i think it will make it a little bit more enjoyable for your staff and for me i think without them i'm nothing you know people will give me compliments all day but without a good staff you know i don't have a good restaurant and i'm very grateful for them So I try to do everything within my power and my reach to make sure that they are happy and I'll continue doing that and I know by doing that they will have my back. So I'm grateful for them and um I'm happy that they they want to work for me, you know. So Mm. You know, um I have to say um I have so many favorite dishes at your restaurant. Um you know, immediately with these when you know you start um after the washing of the hands you know and um your business partner Effie or someone in front in the front of the house one of your staff members goes around and washing the hand that whole just experience of um you know the hum- the humanity in your artistry i think you know all, has always blown my mind and 
you know, it, it takes me back to um, the many times I've, you know, been back and forth to Nigeria specifically and Morocco. And, you know, I'm so, um, I'm so excited to see your trajectory in this industry, um, being a first generation, you know, Senegalese immigrant, because there are other chefs from all over. There's Ghanaian chefs that are doing it. There's Nigerian chefs. But I think you in particular um, and just the cuisine that you're, Senegalese cuisine that you're representing is um, going to be um, definitely a cuisine that needs to be highlighted even more. Right, 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 right. And I mean, I, I think I think you're hitting all of the notes. I think that we're just getting started, you know, um, that people are paying attention to the food that we're doing. We just have to continue pushing and continue pushing and let people know who we are, who let them let them taste our food. And also, most importantly, is stay authentic to ourselves, you know, not doing things unapologetically, you know, and just really staying truthful to what we do. So that way, when they do recognize us, we don't have to change. They recognize us for who we are. So for me, it's just having that, you know, that that mindset of, you know, staying consistent, staying focused and being ready for that next step. Did you feel pressure from others to change, you know? Um, Not necessarily because no one ever believed in trying to invest in what I'm doing. So, you know, I'm so happy that I find my business partner, if you're interested. And her and I was able to come up with an idea and a concept that we don't, no one can't pressure us to do nothing that we don't want to do. But I see how the industry is. I mean, it could, I mean, you know, it's a tough industry. You know, I think that, you know, this, this, uh, the culinary industry is probably one of the toughest industry. Uh, it's probably one of the, one of the most toughest industry period. You know I mean? There's people do drugs, you know, smoke, all types of things, you know, and I've seen it from coming up within my career, you know, but I chose, I chose, I chose a different path, you know, because of that, you know, my religion, you know, I can't smoke or drink, but it's not only that my my religion restricted me from smoking and drinking, but I just saw the impact it also had on a lot of my culinary peers, you know, just uh, being in an industry. So, I think that, you know, it's great that I'm able to do what I want to do without any pressure. And it allowed me to be free and to continue staying creative and, you know, and support whoever I want to support. Another one of you and Effie's brainchilds is um, Afro um, Freedom Fest. And that is your Juneteenth celebration that you did for the second time this past Juneteenth. Can you talk a little bit about just, you know, why you all decided to um, launch a Juneteenth celebration um, like that in uh, New Orleans? Why Juneteenth? Um, you know, and just knowing the the history of African-American struggle here in the States, you know, what what motivated you and what was the, the nemesis for you to really, you know, start that? 
Well, one is that as much as I, much as I'm deeply rooted in Senegal culture and and our people in Senegal, but I'm also African American. I was born in, in this country, and you know, I I identify as African American, also African. So I think in being in high school, I feel some of the uh, way, you know, how they got treated and also how I got treated. And I think that now, you know, given uh, because of what's happening now, I think that Juneteenth not is being recognized as a holiday, as a, you know, as a, as a, as a holiday. So I think that we need to take advantage of that moment and really use Juneteenth as a celebration of people that was here before us and, you know, and give their flowers and try to honor the work that they do, they did. And I think for me, it's crucial to celebrate Juneteenth by collaborate, collaborating with other local chefs from New Orleans and not only cooking food, but also cook on a on the farm and also cook on live fire because that's how our ancestors that's how they cooked. That's how that's how they lived. And they 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 was out on the field and get wood, start a fire, and that's how they prepare a meal. So for me it just kinda remind us, you know, what we came from. But at the same time, it doesn't matter how hot it is, we know that we're only doing that for that specific day. So it's crucial to bring all these amazing, talented, not only chefs, but also speakers, poet, uh, you know, artists, you know, just to all collaborate within within one space and share our uh, creativity because that was, that's, that was something that our ancestors weren't able to do. The fact that we are able to do that now, so we need to continue pushing that forward and making sure that we are celebrating our people. Agreed. Um, I can remember growing up and um, I think I've told you this before, but, you know, for our listeners, um, you know, I grew up in a very multicultural family, um, and I, but I centered in black folks from all over the world. And so my, my first cousins, their father um, is Nigerian, Igbo specifically. And like you, you know, in Har- you grew up in Harlem. I grew up in Chicago. And, you know, everyone who, when we would go over my Aunt Lillian's house, you know, and my Uncle Joseph's house, there was always food, you know, everybody was, you know, making a goosey and, you know, all the white soup and, you know, just all of these dishes. And then there, it wasn't necessarily um, tribal in the sense that it was just Igbos that came over. It was also other tribes because everyone was either there as, you know, a student on a student visa or working as a taxi driver, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was some of the best food I've ever eaten in my life, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's a meme that's going around uh, of an interview with the British actor. I think his name is Will Polcher. I think um, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, but he's on the, um, you know, on the show, um, um, 
What's the name of that show? You know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. It just came out. Yeah. And he's talking about, you know, how there are no West African Michelin um, star restaurants, you know, considering that in the UK, um, you know, it is booming over there right now as far as West African cuisine. And, you know, rightfully so because of how many West African immigrants and how they've been there for quite some time. You know, and here in the States, there's this rise of, you know, um, first generation West African immigrants, you know, East African that are like, no, I'm going to take my parents food and my grandparents food and I'm going to put it on a silver platter. But it's always been on a silver platter. But I'm going to let the rest of the world know that, you know, it, it can go it can go up next to it can sit next to Asian cuisine that's prominent, that's you know, um, Latin American cuisine, American cuisine, you know, Southern cuisine, et cetera. And they will find the roots in that. How did you feel about, I don't know if you've seen that me, but how did you feel about, you know, how do you feel about this moment in time as, you know, a first generation, um, even though you were born here, but first generation um, son of Senegal, of West Africa, bringing, um, you know, Senegalese cuisine out of the community onto um, the main stage? I mean, for me is that, you know, I, to open a restaurant, just to open a restaurant, I feel like I'm lucky to achieve that goal, you know? So I think now that my restaurant is open, only thing I truly care about is making sure the guests leave there and feel nurtured and feel happy but also making sure that my staff are happy and they like the environment they are currently working in. I think for me now, I shift my thinking about stop worrying about these awards because it does more damage to these European chefs than good. You know, I mean, you if you have a three Michelin, you lose a star. Now you two Michelin. You know, we saw a couple of chefs you know, just given history that, you know, committed suicides or whatever the case might be or overdoses, whatever it was because of that pressure of this award. So for me, it's like, I you know, I want to cook. As long as my restaurant is being booked and my guests are happy and my staff is happy, I think that's all I really care about that at the end of the day because uh, a program that's been created before we were before I got in the industry, been around for years and years. And it was not meant for Blacks or African-American or African... It was not supposed to benefit African-American or African, uh, for that matter. And I think so for me is I don't look for that ward to come knocking on our door. But hypothetically, if it happened... Great, but I'm not looking for it because I want those awards, when they do come, accept us for who we are. I don't want them to accept us for cooking our food but doing their service. I want to do my service. I want to, no Michelin star restaurant you will go to, they'll wash your hands on the table, even at the three Michelin. But our restaurant is not a Michelin, but we'll wash your hands on the table. So I think it's just some. You know, and that's something that is deeply rooted into my culture. So I just need to stay true to who we are 
And as long as the restaurant is being busy and being booked, I'm grateful for all of the other things that is completely out of my control. It doesn't matter what we do to mimic that style of service or style of plating, we will never get it. So why waste your, why waste your time? You know, why do what you do what you want to do anyway, which is what I'm doing. Your humility is so refreshing. Um, you know, and for those who know you, um, you know, you are hilarious. <laughs> no, it's not coming off in this interview, but you are hilarious. Um, you know, um, you're always like, you know, just this big laughter, because I got a big laughter too. I'm sure my listeners like, child, I'm tired of hearing her uh, big laugh. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just you, you right. know? And um, one of the other things that I think is cool about you, because, you know, you're so humble, I'm not going to let you like, you know, you're not going to say anything. Oh yeah, that's just me. I'm such humble as a mouse, but I'll, I'll speak up for you. I guess, you know, you know? but uh, you know, <laughs> but you speak multiple languages, you speak Wolof, you speak French, you even taught yourself Spanish, you know? And I mean, right. when, when I met you and being able to speak Spanish with you, I was just like, ah, yeah. my friend, you know? <laughs> ya tu sabes. <laughs> ya tu sabes, you know? And I yeah. think that is something that a lot of people don't know about you and your fashion sense. I mean, when you and Effie, like, when y'all throw down, like you all call the aunties back home, they send you yep. like, you know, custom made. Like, I think, you know, a fashion line is the, in the future. You know, For I don't sure. know. You know, I'm not, I, I definitely see a lot happening. And, you know, and even just Senegalese cuisine in general. I mean, that I haven't been to Senegal yet. I want to go so bad. My godfather is um, from Senegal, who used to work with my dad. Um, shout out to my god sister, Mariama Diallo. But anyway, um, I had jollof, Senegalese jollof um, rice for me. And I'm not trying to like upset, you know, I've had it all. But man, what's, you know, um, <laughs> it is divine. Um, and like I said, I, I grew up in Chicago and there's so many... Now, you know, there's so many Senegalese restaurants and Senegalese restaurants actually started on the south side of Chicago before they moved, you know, further mm. north because, you know, they were living in our communities. And my dad had this running joke, you know, when we went, I remember when it was like maybe about 15, 20 years ago. And he's like, oh, this, there's a Senegalese restaurant that's opening up on 79th Street. And we waited like two hours for some yasa, right? And he's wow. like, oh, did they go back to Senegal to, <laughs> to cut the chicken and bring it back? <laughs> Man. Man. I know, I know that feeling for sure. Yeah. But you, like, you know, you are like back in the, in the kitchen, like, no, you know, that military training, but not the military oppressive training on your staff, but um, military in the sense, like, what you said, consistency. Can you talk a little bit about just the jollof and yep. the shift um, and mindset? I know you don't know all West African chefs in the U.S., but is as a collective, where are you? Where do you think the um, you know West African chefs are headed? I think that you know uh, a lot of the chefs that I was African chef that I know are doing an amazing thing. You know, just give them their flowers. You know, chef here, Cham. Uh, Chef Eric at Japan, uh, you know, Kwame, 
um, Chef Mike and uh, and uh, and Niger, Chef Pinta and uh, and and Ghana Akara, um, Akara, and uh, Chef Nani Nana. She's based in New York. So I think a lot of us are coming. I think a lot of us are coming. I think that it's just everyone is on their own path. And I think it's just a matter of time for people to really discover who we really are. And I think as long as we continue staying true to who we are, like I said earlier, I think you know, we don't have to change. But I think, you know, uh, everyone's doing the work that is very crucial and very important and reaching out to different people. And I think it's crucial to see that now because I think that this on the beginning is only is only is only up from here. Hmm. I um, you know, I'm just thinking, first of all, I'm day still daydreaming of your gumbo. I daydream about that all the time. And uh, your crawfish biz that you do. I, I, I know you're going to say it. You know I'm going to put that out there. Y'all just don't know. I can bathe yeah, in it. Like, yeah. listen, I'll never forget when you did a, a, a pop-up and you made it. And literally everybody at the table was like, yo, can he? Wow. Can we get pints of this to go? You know, I'm I mean, you. all your food is like that. But it's your, man, your soups and, you know, just, oh, my God. And, and those the seafood, the seafood is, and I'm not, I'm sorry, chefs. I'm not trying to like, you know, be, um, you know, gas him up too much. And everybody's like, you didn't gas up my food. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, man. You know, that, that's one thing that I would tell a lot of people, um, if they don't know, is that I'm truly in love with just making sauces. You know, that's one thing that, you know, because, you know, uh, the food that I grew up eating, it was all about flavor and presentation so for me is flavor is what i focus on rather than you know don't get me wrong i do play things nicely but i'm not playing it in a way that i'm looking for a michelin i want people to taste it and feel the love and feel the soul so it's it's very important to me that you know things are slow when it's cooking taking its time and when it comes out it's right Hmm. so true so true. Um, you know, and so many chefs, um, when I look at, you know, some of the parallels, um, you know, when to Southern cuisine and, you know, Senegalese, Nigerian, um, you know, Ghanaian, and, you know, it's it's finally people are starting to have those conversations for quite for for quite some time you know historians or food writers they would always say oh southern cuisine is um european uh you know indigenous they would would list all the european countries and then they would say indigenous oh and african you know how do you feel about that? Because you're in the South, you know, um, you are literally also championing, pushing to put the South on the map, not only New Orleans, but just equal equity and representation for Black Southern chefs and, you know, chefs in general in the South, because a lot of times other cities, you know, bigger cities like New York or, you know, um, other big states like Texas and, you know, other places like that get um 
you know, just a lot of coverage on them. But I think you are really working hard. Um, I don't know a lot of, if a lot of people know that to make sure that as a community, you know, that you all work together and rise together. It's funny. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's funny because today Chef Charlie uh, for Fritai had came to a restaurant, um, something I had to give him. And then it was just having that conversation literally today. I mean, a few hours ago, maybe two hours ago. And I was telling him that like New Orleans does not have so much attention when it comes down to the food scene in the city of New Orleans. And for me, it's kind of crazy because, you know, everywhere else know New Orleans for his food. You know, that's what we're really known for. We're known for our food and our music, but yet, you know, we don't have a huge attention when it comes down to the culinary scene. But again, uh, a lot of the bigger companies are not in New Orleans, you know, so no, it's not a major city as California or Chicago or New York or even D.C. or or, or Texas. But I think that long as us locally we are continue to connecting and supporting one another. One of us make go to the room, but also pulling to bring more people in the room. Eventually, all of us will be in that room. So that's my thinking. Mm-hmm. So I think that for me now is just staying humble and trying to uh, uh, staying humble and trying to support one another because we're just getting started, you know? So the future mm. is bright for all of us. Absolutely. And what's your, okay, and then this is, you know, I'm, I'm gonna give you a second to think about this. What is a food story or a Dakar Nola story that really just warms your heart and, you know, and it's just like, this is why I do what I do. Yeah. Can you share uh, one with us? For sure. A guest recently told me that, a guest that came eating a restaurant Loved it so much. Came back the next day, ate there again, and said that the Carnola food is like a 360. How she said it? She's, I'm trying to remember how she said She said the Carnola food feel like 360 degrees. Um, oh, man, I can't. I can't think about it. But basically, she was saying something about... Uh, the experience that she had at the Carnola was three, 360 degrees uh, of pleasure. Mm. Something like that, you know? So, mm. which, you know, she enjoyed everything. The service, mm. the food, the people, the, the, the ambiance, the looks of it. And, you know, things like that just, you know, keeps me going. Mm. Because I think also um, the way that you all um, have, set up your tables. It's not like, oh, if I have a reservation, I get an t- individual table by myself with my party. Um, you know, not all the time do you get that. It's like mostly you're going to sit next to somebody. You might sit next to the people that you came with, but you're also going to sit next to some strangers. And that forces, you know, folks to break bread with each other. And, you know, I think um, that is also profound, especially, um, you know, when you are also introducing a cuisine that some don't aren't familiar with, you know, right, right, right. 
Right. I, 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 I truly agree, you know, so, but I think in due time, people seeing more what the work that we do, I think it, it will, it will become the norm, but just a matter of time is very new to, to many, you know, so I think continue doing it, continue staying authentic and staying true to who we are. I think that, you know, uh, the rest, you know, we let God do the rest. How did you feel about being on the cover of New York Times um, in the food section as, you know, one of the rising black chefs in New Orleans? Was I mean, that a pivotal moment for you? I think, yes, for sure. I'm very honored that I was there. But for me, I think that if you're doing, if you are doing the work, the rest will come. So I truly, I, I focus on, I just focus on doing the work and I'm deeply humble with that. You know that our work made it to such a national level, but I think that that's just the big be- the beginning of many. You know, so I think that because the work that we want to do, we haven't even started. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we just need to continue pushing, continue doing the work, and not letting this, not letting these media, you know, take taking control. You know, because mm-hmm. the same media that will pump you up be the same media that same media that would you know pump you down so staying so staying true to yourself and not letting not letting it get the best of you as long as you're doing what you want to do hmm, powerful powerful lesson what can we ex- yeah. expect for you from you and uh, Effie and the Cardola in the future are you going to have yeah. Afro Freedom I, I think again? honestly I think what I would or I want people to say, expect from us is that anything that we do just think of greatness mm, let's there go you. you know i'm gonna gas you up let's go <laughs> greatness greatness that's it greatness yes 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 and on that note uh, we want to thank you serene uh for you know joining culture and flavor uh it's been such a pleasure to have this conversation with you and Y'all, we will be back again for another episode of Culture and Flavor. Please subscribe, hit that subscribe button. And, uh, you know, we appreciate the support. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was a, I'm deeply humble and honored to, to be here. So thank you. Culture and Flavor is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.